We are talking about a comic book, which we all read. If you did not also read this comic book, be aware we may talk about the events that happen inside of it. If this is going to make you sad, you should read the comic book first. That's like playing pretend with five-year-olds. Oh, that Spider-Man, he was just a clone. Did I just have a stroke? Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast. I have tough skin, apparently. I did not know I had this power. Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. What we did not know was that Nikolai Tesla was the original designer of the Fleshlight. Make it, make it, do it, makes us... Welcome, everybody, to episode 90 of the Trade Secrets Podcast. I am Luke Matthews, and I am here today with Ann Bean and Andy Padel. As most, well, I don't know how many of our listeners actually pay attention to our Twitter feeds and Facebook, but um, I I know that most people were expecting there to be an Emerald City Comic Con special. Uh, That didn't happen because of... I got my... What the actual fuck Luke moment. That's uh, what's important to me. Yeah, but it was kind of a fake what the actual fuck Luke moment. It wasn't actually really... The iPod died mid-recording. Well, okay, (laughs) but that wasn't my fault. I don't. I actually, literally, don't know what happened because I specifically checked the iPod before we started recording, and it said it was full battery. And usually, on that, so for listeners, what happened was we were recording an interview with Ed Brisson, and about twenty five, twenty six minutes into the interview, the uh, the kit died. Um, and initially, I thought it was because our portable kit runs on batteries, and I initially thought it was the batteries in the portable kit. But then when I took the iPod out, it was toast. And usually, that kit will record for fucking you know we've recorded two plus hours on that kit without it going anywhere so it's probably typical apple like the battery icon was bullshit um i I figure that we've just gotten enough use out of this ipod that it'll you know eventually it's just gonna crap out yeah (laughs) it'll just burst into flame mid-recording at some point yeah i mean we've been using this ipod dramatically (laughs) (laughs) like it pulls out a tiny pistol and just just circuits everywhere (laughs) um so what happened was the equipment died, and so we didn't actually. And I, I didn't um, like I didn't get around. Th- that was on Saturday afternoon, and uh, Anne was busy for most of the rest of the con, and Andy wasn't going to be there on Sunday, so we just ended up not recording anything other than that interview, wow. um, which is kind of fine because the the interview, uh, even though. Even though the equipment died, we did get a really good interview with Ed Brisson for about, you know, like I said, almost half an hour of, of material that will that will be in this in this show in a little bit. Um, and we will do our uh, our Emerald City Comic Con like kind of wrap up. Uh, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know recap. what I'm f- recap. Thank you. Hey. Oh God, brain. Uh, I am, ladies and gentlemen, our host Luke <laughs> Matthews <laughs> and Luke Matthews's lungs. Um, I am. I, I'm suffering from con plague, as Me is too. I think. And uh, I managed to uh, somehow not necessarily duck it, but recover immediately from it. Well, I, I can trace exactly why I have con plague from this con. Was it when One, I sneezed on my hand and shook your hand when I saw you? Uh, no, I'm pretty sure it was when you sneezed right in my face. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it was... Um, so I was, I was at the con all three days as usual from before it opened to after it closed. And uh, I was doing okay until Saturday night. And Saturday night there was a... Um, so <laughs> I'm going to tell this story first. Friday night... I was going to what was uh, I had RSVP'd for an event called the Wasteland Drink Up. It was Anthony Johnson and the and the creative team of Wasteland were doing a, uh, an event for the for the 
final issue, right? Because it's closing out. That was supposed to be at the Tap House in downtown Seattle. So then at some point during Friday, I walk over to Ed Brisson's booth and we were talking about doing the interview and all this stuff. And then we got on the subject of parties and stuff. And he's like, uh, he, and I'm like, what are you up to tonight? And he's like, oh, I'm going to the Boom Studios party. And, and he's like, are you going? I'm like, uh, I don't think I'm going. And then he pulls out the flyer for the Boom Studios party. And he's like, uh, I, I said, where is it? And he pulls out the Boom Studios thing. He's like, uh, it's at the Tap House. And I'm like, wait a minute. The Aunt, Anthony Johnson's doing a thing at the Tap House. He's like, yeah, he he probably just combined the two. So we go and do our stuff. We get to the Tap House. And sure enough, both parties are at the Tap House in different rooms that are right next to each other. And we got there. So the, the con hall closes at 7. The party technically started at, starts at 8. We got there at about 8.30. And it was shoulder to shoulder in both rooms and people of course were mixing between the rooms because it's fucking one's only one's boom studios and they're all just like party party and i got into that room and i made it maybe maybe 10 feet into the room before i couldn't move anymore and it was roughly 214 degrees celsius in that place it was ridiculous um this party's been relocated to the center of the sun right so we bailed, like, I literally, I got it. I got that far, I looked around, I didn't see a single person that I recognized, because most people were showing up late anyway, so I'm like, mm, nope, gotta go, and we left, and then I found out later that they actually uh, pretty much shut down the tap house, because they hit capacity uh-huh. uh, on, on it, and they're just like, the tap house was, tap house had to station somebody at the bottom of the stairs to just turn people away, like, are you here for the party? Go away. You're here for the party? Go away. Nope. <laughs> Gotta go. Um, but then on Saturday night, I went to a party um, that was nothing to do with comics. It was all sci-fi and fantasy authors. Oh, cool. Um, so there was a lot of really good, like Patrick Rothfuss was there, Mike Cole. Um, and this is what my one moment. Like you were, you'll tell the, tell the story of, of Dale real quick. So Dale, one of our, one of our li- longtime listener, friend of the show, uh, Dale from, from Frederick the Great. So, uh, is, Dale got the chance to meet Kelly Sue DeConnick, and one of the things that I really enjoyed was his discussion of when he actually met her, how he had turned into a prepubescent boy. <laughs> hey! I like, I as soon as he said that, I'm like, oh, man, Dale, Dale. Love you to death, Dale. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I can't say that I haven't done the same thing right. with some people. Like, I mean, I remember... Uh, P- listeners can go back and listen to you talking to oh, Matt Fraction I, 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 when we I, interviewed him on the show. Look, that's, that's <laughs> totally a, that's totally a bro thing. Yeah, I, like I'm pretty sure that my voice cracked yeah. many times during that interview. Um, but that's what the funny thing for when I went to that author event, it was it was actually really fantastic. It wasn't that crowded, um, and like I said, it was um, for anybody who knows these authors. Of course, people know Patrick Rothfuss, but then there was uh, Mike Cole who writes a Shadow Ops series. Um, Peter V. Brett, uh, Jason M. Huff, who writes the Darwin Elevator. Um, uh, God, so many people were there. Was Robin Hobb there? Robin Hobb was there. Steven Erickson was there, and I didn't even know it. The guy who writes uh, Malazan Book of the Fallen. Um, and Naomi Novik was there, who writes the Temeraire books. Uh, and she's got nice. a new book called Uprooted. And it was funny because... Oh, and Django Wexler was also there. So... 
I met Mike Cole, nicest guy in the world. We actually sat and talked for a while, and that was the cool thing. It was like it was more of a social gathering than That's like a great. signing or anything. Yeah, so yeah. Django talk, was super nice. Yeah, talked to him, talked to Django Wexler for a while, talked to Jason M. Huff for quite a while, and then um, we were kind of filtering around the room, and we got to uh, Naomi Novik. Um, like I said, I had just finished reading His Majesty's Dragon, which is the first of the Temeraire books, and I was. A little tipsy at that point. I'd had a few beers, like face plant tipsy, and not or face. No, literally just a little bit Facebook tipsy, like tipsy, not face plant. Yeah, tipsy. little little buzzed. And Christina walked up and introduced herself and was talking to her. And then I walked up and just hey. <laughs> fanboyed the shit out of myself about her. But I'm just like going her. off about this is so awesome. And this part of the book was really cool. And I really liked the characters. And and and, and I mean. She, she took it in stride, of course. I'm sure she's had it happen a million times. But Way it was just like, breather. right? And it, well, that sucks because like everybody else in the room, I <laughs> just had conversations with. And I was really cool. And it was like really nice to just sit down and talk to. I found out Django Wexler literally lives two blocks from me. A lot of these people are local, which I didn't know. Like Jason M. Huff is local, There's too. He lives up in. There's a ton of yeah. sci-fi fantasy people that live in Seattle. Yeah. Um, but then... I, d- I don't know. I just like lost it. And I just, and that was a point where I, there was a point in my head <laughs> where I realized what I was doing. Uh-oh. So I, I went, thank you. And I like tapped Christina on the shoulder. I'm like, I'm going to go. And I walked away and, I d- and Christina luckily got to sit there and just talk with her for a long time and stuff. It was really cool. And she got more of a, like an actual experience instead of just like, <laughs> you know, um, but God that was damn it, Luke. Hey, that's at least you had the moment experience. of self awareness that you're like, I'm yeah. mouth breathing and awful right now. I'm gonna go. <laughs> Can I touch your hair? Oh, God you're damn it. pretty. <laughs> and it's I don't I mean, to be fair, like at the least t- you're the, like, uh, can I touch your prose? It's pretty. <laughs> like that's better, but yeah, still the first uh, the first the re- I think the reason was it's like the first book of the Temporary series is just wildly different from other stuff I've read, and I burned through it in two days. Just boom and i think that's one of the things like it was the other books i love all the other books i read but that one for some reason uh, just stu- stuck out that makes me want to read it just it's, because i've kind of stopped reading fantasy at some point because it was sort of monotonous so how was the rest of emerald city for the saturday that you were there oh Andy? it was great i got to meet um diane and aaron from the just enough trope podcast. oh yeah i was actually uh, gonna mention both that super fucking sweet getting to hang out with ed is awesome um yeah. I don't know. Everything was just, I, like one day was enough for me. Like luckily, I had like plans for everything else, whether it be work or mm-hmm. you know moving someone. <coughs> oh sweet God, I'm so tired. <laughs> That's what I got. I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm taking a nap. <laughs> How about you, man? I, I had a, I had a decent con. I was kind of all over the place. Um, a couple of my friends were in in town from out of town mm-hmm. and. Saturday was like escort quest with a ten year old. Luckily, a ten year old whose company I enjoy. <laughs> escort quest, that's awesome. But uh, nobody likes escort quests. <laughs> you know the thing is, I liked the Warcraft three ones. I may be wrong, but I did. Yeah, I think you're wrong. Um, it's a horrible thing to say about Mike. By the way, he's not actually a ten year old. No, I did a terrible job of. On Saturday, in particular, I did a terrible job of being supportive or, like, hanging out at the table, and he was so sick. He got Concred early. Mm-hmm. I think he was patient zero for Concred, actually. Probably. I, I did give him a hug and then groped him inappropriately when you weren't at the booth, just to let you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, he was probably too infirm to uh, resist. Yeah, he, so he didn't even, like, take flinch. advantage of him. 
Um, no, he would he would just felt like crap and was like, I don't want to talk to people. Uh. <laughs> um, but I did I did hang out at the booth most of or uh, at his booth most of Sunday, so he had a chance to like go around and mm-hmm. try to do the networking that he does. And I I did okay for networking, not great, but went to a couple of panels. Those were sort of fine. Yeah. Um, I went to the non-compliant panel, which was really amusing. Uh, it was. Was it compliant? It was not. <laughs> uh, one of them was one of them was late too, which made it extra non-compliant. Nice. Uh, <laughs> it was it was like Kate Leth and Eric Moen and Spike Trotman and Kelly Sue DeConnick and somebody else, maybe Noelle Stevenson. So it's just like all this sort of like s- <laughs> snarky women of comics, like being snarky for an hour. It was delightful. <laughs> At some point, Kelly Sue had whoever had the uh, Bitch Planet foam finger, like in the audience, raise it. So there was a sea of beautiful sea of middle fingers. Yeah. Um, I I got this excellent book, which is called "Learning to Butt Poems" by Jay Smith. Um, the cover art is. Uh, it's it's just like little silly doodles, and it was one of my favorite random finds. Yeah, it's it's really hilarious. If anybody can find learning to butt poems, it's really funny. Uh, I also got a new one from Laura Graves, who is a local badass artist called Witches Get Stitches, which is basically like her metal tribute to magical girls. <laughs> That's awesome. Was there anything on the, the par with uh, Time Fucker? Yeah, the thing, the thing is, Time Fucker was a disappointment. Like, Time Fucker was hilarious in concept and, like, disappointing in... I, all I cared about was the concept of it. And that's why I got Learning to Butt Poems, because it says butt poems on the front, and it was <laughs> great. Fair enough. I, uh, I lucked out a couple of times and did some really cool stuff. Um, the thing that makes Emerald City awesome and the thing that I hope that they can maintain, even though... They're getting taken over by um, going to four repop. Days. Going to four days. That's just Woof. brutal. Um, the thing that I'm hoping that will happen is that it'll stay the way it is because the experiences that I had this weekend were, one, I I mean, I spent an inordinate amount of time standing around bullshitting with Brian Hurt and, um, and occasionally Colin when he was around. He spent most of his time in panels and stuff. But... Um, like Brian and I just bullshitted for like literally hours at a time, a couple of times. Um, you know, hanging out with Curtis That's and great. Johnny Christmas and them. But but I, I met. See, God damn it! I didn't see Johnny this year. I, I did. Love, I love that dude. Yeah. Um, but one of the cool things was um, so I went back. And Zach Howard was there, and he's the guy that does the art for a comic book that I love called Wild Blue Yonder. He did the art for um, the Cape, Joe Hill's oh, The yeah. Cape, um, several other things. Uh, he's a fantastic artist. Um, and I just was standing around kind of BSing with him and we, it was really funny because we got on this tangent of, of like ripping on Rob Liefeld at one point that was pretty funny. Um, but in addition to that, one of the things that one of my, probably the highlight of my weekend was I'm standing there talking to, to Zach Howard and, uh, yeah, hands and a couple of guys come up. And they're talking to to Zach about something. They're just kind of like horned in. And one of the guys that came up started introducing the people that he'd brought with him, one of which was James Heron. And it was really funny because, like, I'm a huge James Heron fan. I love James Heron's art. He's one of my favorite art, current artists right now. Um, and he's doing a book called Rumble that's just, like, fantastic. Yep. Um, and so 
I like I kind of lean over and I look at I look at Zach Howard and I point over the guy's head to and I, and I mouth James Heron and Zach leans into me and he goes yeah it's like you want to introduce me and I, I go you want to introduce me I know you don't know my name but you want to introduce me he's like what is your name I'm like Luke and he's like hey James 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 this is Luke Luke James and I and then I ended up standing there talking to James Heron for nice. like 15-20 minutes it was like that's the kind of shit that I love about Emerald City Comic Con just being able to yeah. bullshit with creators in that way uh, you know? I wish Re- I'd done more of that real humorous tangent on James Heron um, I finally remembered the first time that I saw him he did a single issue of Eastman and Laird's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles oh really that is one of the first issues of that run that hmm. I remember I, the first art that I saw from him was uh, a two-issue short uh, of in the Abe Sapien books. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the show's fantastic, and I absolutely love it, and I love, the, I love getting a chance to interact with creators, and that's probably the best, yeah. the best thing that happens all weekend. I really hope they manage to keep that level of intimacy next year. I did, too. They, there was a survey for... So here, here's the thing that worries me a little bit, is that... Um, Putting a, like it used to be the entire time we've been there that at the end of the con, you prepay for next year, for the next year. And when you do that, um, it guarantees you a table. Well, that's not the case anymore. Uh, This year, you don't prepay and they are pushing all the vendor stuff off to ReadPop and ReadPop's going to make decisions on who they keep and who they don't keep. So... Fingers crossed that we still have a table next year is all I can say. You know, um, I figure even if they go to a juried system, I, I I would have faith in Jim and others that run the con that they would they would have that um, creators mixed in with like brand honking new up and coming people to products thing that they do so well. Like hopefully, I hope so because that's why it's delightful as a con. That's why it's not saying. San Diego, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's not, you've got you know, all your A-listers in one corner. You've got the artists in another corner. You've got the retailers in another corner. No, 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 it's, it's mixed up. Everything. And that's it's why great. it's... And that's, what I, that's actually one of the things I said when they, they sent us... The, a sur- they sent all the um, vendors a survey, and they were like, one of the questions was, what is, what is it that makes Emerald City unique? And my, my response to them was the focus on Artist's Alley and the intimacy of it, the, the ability to interact with... You know, everybody. fans and creators and everybody kind of all mingling in one place, and that's what makes it awesome. Um, you know, that's why we end up we ended up basically turning an interview with Ed Brisson into an annual yeah. event is because we you know we met him through Emerald City Comic Con and and have managed to be able to just you know waylay him at any point and and do a, an interview, um, ambush him with offers of booze. Yeah, right. There. Um, well, speaking of, why don't we just uh, why don't we why don't we go to our interview with Ed Brisson? So I like it. Uh, yeah, we we sat down with Ed Brisson at the show. We talked to him for about twenty minutes about all the stuff that he's done. We talked to him specifically a lot about um, Sheltered, which just ended, and the way that it uh, the way that it worked out. <laughs> so <laughs> so here you go, guys. Have a listen to our interview with Ed Brisson. Hey everybody, it's Luke and Andy on Trade Secrets Podcast, and as usual at Emerald City Comic Con, we are sitting here with uh, Ed Brisson, who has become our our annual interview, I guess. It's just kind of like a... Yeah, I guess so. This is the third year in a row. Th- third, third year, year in, in a row. row. Yep. Um, so, uh, of course, of course we want to talk about Sheltered and okay. the way it ended. You can um, ask me when it ends now, this time. <laughs> 
Luke and I were actually discussing that. I think it was a couple weeks ago. I'm like, man, I really hope for another oh fuck moment. Like, yeah. When it's like, no, it wasn't. No, it's not an oh fuck moment. It's a what the fuck, oh, what Luke. The fuck? <laughs> so just talked about this. Um, so ended issue 15. Uh, you had a story about a guy that hated the ending. Like, yeah, it's just a reviewer. I guess a guy who liked it and then and um, didn't. He liked the book, the series, and then hated the way it ended. And um, I, I was saying earlier, as a rule, I don't read reviews. Uh, like it just fucks with my head too much to like mm-hmm. uh, to let sort of uh, uh, other people's sort of expectations or, or, or um, takeaways from the book. Like it'll it'll mess with my head and right, make me right. second guess myself too much. Uh, but this guy, this was the Wednesday that it came out, and I, when I got on Twitter, I had the thing where like the you know hated the ending and. Uh, that was my first exposure to... That was the first thing I heard about anyone having any reaction to the ending. So I just thought, fuck. Now everyone's going to... Everyone probably hates it. Uh, but we kind of knew... Like, Johnny and I knew going in that, like, the ending is not going to sit... Like, we knew the ending before we started sure. the series. So we knew it might not sit with everyone. I, I'm trying not to say what the ending is for those who haven't read it. But um, we knew, like, it wouldn't sit probably with everyone. But uh, it was... It, to me, it was the only ending the book could have. Um... It's it was the, the most logical ending to it. It's sure. the best yeah. ending. Well, and I, uh, I mean, I'm one of the people that still hasn't read the last two issues. Okay. Um, and I, but they've been partially spoiled for me, but it's All not right. a big deal. But it, it seems like an, you know, having read the first 13 issues, an unsettling ending is, is what that book needs. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, it doesn't seem like you want just a nice, happy wrap. No, no. To a I, book like you that. Could, I guess you could have, but it, it, to me, it would have felt false to the to the, the rest of the book. Sure. You killed the dogs. You can't pull punches <laughs> out of that. <laughs> bring up my wife, my wife brings that up all the time. <laughs> I blame Johnny. Yes. It is Johnny's fault. I, so when we talked about this book right before you guys, I think it was we, the interview was right before the first issue came out. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you were talking about then was that uh, you didn't really have a set uh, length for the for the run. Could have been five, could have been twenty, could have been somewhere in between. And one of the things I'm really curious about is um, when you know the beginning of the book and you know the end of the book, yeah. but don't know the length of time in between. How do you plan for the the kind of ongoing publication of it and and writing it? Well, when I did say that, I was kind of bullshitting a little bit back then because. <laughs> If it had only been five issues, we would have been fucked so hard, <laughs> like, like so badly. Um, I think what you back then you said it you had planned ten, like yeah, that would have been the, like actually your minimal our arc. our ideal. I think when Johnny and I first went in, we wanted to do uh, twenty issues. Okay, twenty to twenty-five. That was a plan, um, and then we got like we had these sort of plan. Like we had like these arcs. Um, originally, actually. Um, for, this, this is going to spoil the end of the first arc, but deal with it. Yeah. Um, the statute of limitations on spoilers yeah, for so. a year-old book is over. Originally, at the end of the first arc, what was supposed to happen is that the kids were going to actually blow through their supplies really quick, and okay. then they were actually going to go start robbing stores in the vicinity to get more supplies. But it didn't. F- I, I like the idea more that they stayed, uh-huh. and, and the outside world came to them rather than them sort of breaching out. Um, so yeah, 15 was always like the really tight. That's what we really wanted was 15 issues. Uh, 10 issues we could have done. Um, we basically sort of would have cut most of the um, middle arc out, so okay. it would have been the first and the last. But but like 
the last would have almost been like a, 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 an amalgamation of the second and third arc. Okay. Um, it just would have had to be condensed more than, probably more than I would have wanted. I think it still would have been okay. Uh-huh. Um, our 20-issue plan involved having actually like five one-shot issues in the middle. Okay. But then as we started doing the book, realized that that, it just didn't fit. It didn't fit anymore. So like we... We just decided 15 was like the, the perfect number, and that's the, you know, and we stuck to it. And uh, do you, you think would have thrown the flow off or something like that to have one shots in there? I or? think so. I think it would have thrown. I, I think it would have thrown too much off the feel because it, it's more like a group book about a group of people, um, <clears throat> and and the focus does shift a little bit throughout, you know, from character to character. But I, for, for again, just to do the one shots, I think just it wouldn't have felt right. I think it would have it would have thrown things off a little bit too much. Like there are books that have done that really well. Like um, Scalped mm-hmm. is an example oh. where they do that. But like Scalped also had sixty issues yeah, to say, to do. Like yeah, the Six Guns another one that does that. But yeah. it's another it's like a fifty issue book yeah. with Absolutely. stuff. So yeah, we and we figured we just we're gonna, we want to just focus on that core story, get that the beginning, middle, and end, and just make it as tight a package as possible. Yeah. Um, while not, not rushing, like not not skimping on anything. I, think. Cool. I know a couple of people that I talked to were wa- wondering whether the book got at, quote unquote canceled, and that's clearly not the case. No, that's absolutely like it not. Was, yeah, it was your that was your arc, and that was yeah. your choice, and it's done and over with. I feel like people think that anytime a book ends, they're yeah. worried that it's canceled. Uh, it, which kind of bugs me. I, I, I'm kind of angry uh, that like miniseries don't do better in the industry because I would just straight up just do a, a shit ton of minis- miniseries. I, I love like anywhere from like five to twenty issue series. Like yeah. I don't want something that I'm going to be reading for the next forty years. Yeah, yeah. I, I want condensed stories that you know there's like a beginning, a middle, and an end. That's you know it's very, it's just you know bam, 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 done. Right. I don't, and I'm you know I like slightly longer ones, but like uh, the six gun being an example I brought up earlier. But th- things like. You know, like uh, Preacher, Why the Last Man, all those yeah. books, they're in that 50 to 60 book range are are awesome. Um, and I, I also like books that end, right? Yeah, I, I, I never like going into anything without an ending in mind. So, like, you know, even if it's not going to happen for a few years, like if it's something I can do 40, 50 issues, kind of want to know where it ends up. So you, mm-hmm. you're going somewhere specifically, you know, like the story leading somewhere. Because there's nothing worse than when you can tell a series starts to spin its tires because yeah. they don't know where they're going and they're trying to, they're just trying to find some traction to, to keep going. But right. um, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, like I said, anytime a book ends, I think everyone seems to think that it was canceled. But like <laughs> 15 was, you know, we waffled a bit with like 20 issues and stuff, and we were kind of like being intentionally like like non-committal when people would ask us that question because we just we di- we didn't want people to know until like until. It was solicited, and there was no way that we could hide yeah, it. Yeah, you anymore. can't. Like, yeah. How like how do you deal with that when like the the solicits go out where it's like okay, this is you know this it's like three months issue. out. Yeah, it's like yeah. final issue. It's like okay, people. Well, are then there, at that point you can't. You have no choice but to like just okay. Here's where it is. This is issue fifteen. Is where it's ending. Like here's the thing where I've been lying this entire like I just like <laughs> lying. I'm just like well, we got a plan. We know where it's going to end. You know, sort of thing. And like. I just don't like telling people when it's going to end. I, I don't know why. Like, it's just because um, uh, I, I don't want to temper expectations too much. I don't want people to go, like, I don't want people to stop buying the single issues and just flip over the trades, you know. Sure. Uh, because we need those single issue sales to keep going. And that's why, actually, a lot of times now online where, like, every time I announce a new series, uh, uh, 10 tweets come to me. It's like, is this ongoing or mini? <laughs> and I just pretend I don't see the tweets most of the time. <laughs> So no offense if I don't if I respond, it's because 
sometimes like sometimes it all depends on the sales like uh, mm-hmm. you know if a book's not going to sell well enough then we got to end it at five issues but if i tell you we're going to end it at five issues people are going to trade weight on it right. and we don't we like well, I mean, it's you, not need, sell. you need to get those single sales we need the to single trade sales, out there yeah. yeah well just to pay our bills too yeah. that's <laughs> more importantly to pay my bills yeah um, do you i know that um Johnny specifically is is now working on Pisces. Do you have yeah, any other things? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything uh, planned in the near future uh, to go along with uh, with Johnny? Do you have? Uh, he and I have a project that we've been talking about for a long time, which is um, uh, it's actually the first book we tried pitching. Okay, is this book uh, would temporarily called Oshawa. We know what we're going to have to change the name because uh, when I, we first pitched it, we found out that nobody knew how to pronounce Oshawa. How's it uh, spelled? It's O-S-H-A-W-A. Like, I thought it was straightforward, but uh, some people thought Oshawa or Oshawa. Uh, like, I don't know. We got weird pronunciations on it. What but, is uh, it? It's a city. This is where okay, I grew that's, up. That's, that's, <laughs> I, that's what I figured. Yeah. It sounds like a Canadian city. Yeah, so. <laughs> it is. Uh, but it's, it's a story that's set there, um, which we're, I'm revisiting it right now. Um, it was originally going to be like a... Um, like a 10 to 15 issue thing. Um, I'm revisiting it right now to try and write it as like a shorter, like really con- like tight package. I won't tell you how I, many I issues I was really are hoping you were going to say it's going to be an ongoing book. <laughs> and and when does it end? Yes. <laughs> what the fuck, Luke? Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where it would probably, if, if it does happen, like now Johnny's on, on Pisces and he's got some of his own stuff he's working on. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try and write it so the whole thing is, like whenever he's ready to draw it, the whole thing is uh, done and in the can. And, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and then hopefully we'll, we'll work together again. Um, yeah, we're just, we're just taking a, a vacation from one another for a little bit. Sure. Um, I, have a, I actually have always wanted to ask a couple of craft questions if you have a minute um and one of them being like i'm not going to ask you how do you get your ideas because duh um but when i was writing my book uh a lot of people asked me if i was what a plotter or a pantser you know whether or not i was somebody who outlined meticulously and then wrote from an outline or if i was somebody who just kind of like came up with shit as, as i went along and i that's my first question was which which are you when you're coming um, series well i used to be more like very rough outline and then like hop into the script so i can play around a little bit more and i i think i rationalize that and I, i'm sure i'm on a million interviews going well i like it because i can play around a little bit more and, and i can still surprise myself but the truth is i'm just fucking lazy um, <laughs> <laughs> so now like because i work with more editors i gotta outline a lot more okay and i find that helps a lot uh but i'm still like a guy who like goes off outline a lot mm-hmm. so like i'm like on the third issue or whatever or something i'm like you know what would be cool if this happens instead of that, and then you know, and then that fucks up, it just blows up the rest of my outline. So I got to go back and fix it, which is probably not that uncommon. But I'm sure my editors don't love it. Um, but yeah, now I'm more of a, like an outliner guy. Uh, it all depends. Like uh, I try and do like when I when I pitch a book to um, a publisher, um, I work with a guy who works with novelists. So like he helps me form my pitch because my pitch very much sounds like a guy at a party sitting down okay here's what the book's about okay and then this happens it's gonna be super cool because in this one and i'm really like the, the feeling here is gonna be like this and it's like a bunch of bullshit that a publisher does not want to read <laughs> so the, this guy he's like here's like this is what the publisher wants to see and he, he helps me like 
tighten it up. Tighten it up. He, he's a guy who, who does that for novelists. That's like the sure. thing he does. So I'm like, I'm going to use a pro for this part because I'm not very good at like selling selling yeah. stuff. Um, because like I uh, in the in the pitch, I'll always put in the shit that's most interesting to me. But I was like, I'm putting in like it's like scenes or whatever, like rather than the the, the overall thing. Writing query letters for agents was one of the hardest things I ever had to try and do. Yeah. Trying to get a synopsis that actually like was interesting at all, yeah. um, and still conveyed at least some of what the book was about. And it's like, succinct. That's like I'm, yeah. I'm terrible at, at being succinct with like pitches. But uh, so now I'm more of an outliner guy. Uh, where I have like so like when I was saying when I when I do that when I pitch a series, so I'll have like basically through that process is developing a full like outline for the series that I'm showing the publisher mm-hmm. for them. But it's like usually for like a series, say like the mantle. I only have to pitch the first arc, right? Mm-hmm. So I've got the first arc in like a two-page document, like you know, like a, a, a paragraph or so what everything that that's going to happen throughout. Um, and then I take that and I break it down like issue to by issue afterwards, like mm-hmm. for myself. And then usually what I have when I have my scripts, I've got like one page at the very beginning that I'll delete before I send it to my editors or artists. Um, that is just like an outline for that issue. And then I kind of go in there and, and I loosely break down the pages mm-hmm. and then and then sort of like start building them. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a, like a super messy writer. Like, I, like I'm all over the place with my scripts sometimes, and I, I just got to go back in. And, and sometimes I got to put them away for the weekend and come back and see them with fresh eyes. And like, mm-hmm. and um, so I, I don't even know if I answered that question or if I even no, gave any sort of answer in there. But have you I'm, just, ha- I'm really messy because I'm I'm a, a, as a dude, I'm just disorganized anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard for me to think. Uh, uh, and be organized. It's a miracle I can write a friggin' script. Like it, it literally is a miracle <laughs> when it comes together. Like, um, yeah, I, I feel like I'm never going to survive. It, like, I feel like I've just gone twelve rounds, you know, yeah. with Mike Tyson. So, like, I'm just like stumbling up the stairs, bleeding and broken. Mm-hmm. And have you ever gotten uh, like? Have you ever outlined a series past like issue five, gotten two or three issues in, and then realized you wanted to change directions? Like after like it's been drawn or published and and not change directions with the issues that have been created but like later down the line you start setting up things in those first oh, yeah, three and, t- then, the and then yeah, been yeah. like oh nope i want to go a different way with this like, yeah yeah some i like it never really harshly but yeah, yeah it's it happens and um i can't think of anything specifically that i've ever seeded into something that um i haven't Pick back like that. I've abandoned and not sure. picked back up later on. Um, yeah, but like I all often change directions. Like when we're going, because especially for me, like once the art starts coming in and I'm lettering the stuff, because I, I letter all my own stuff too. Which is like then I, I'm revising all the dialogue and everything as I'm lettering. Um, but yeah, sometimes I'll full on change direction. But like uh, you know, it's never been a, ca- a thing where like. I've alluded to something and then just dropped it that I can think of. I don't I don't think I've done that. If I have, it's never been intentional. That's a weird question. How yeah. much revision of dialogue happens during the lettering process? Like if something doesn't, maybe you get a piece of art and the let, the dialogue you have just doesn't fit. Um, have you ever um, had something like that? Or not, is it more just a, for rev- revising for flow? Yeah, revising for flow mostly because it's a lot easier for me when I see it actually being spoken by the characters mm-hmm. to go, okay, like, you know, like... Um, Sometimes that's why, like, when I see the characters, that's when I start to really... Because I try and have, like, distinctive voices for different characters. Sure. And that's when I see the characters, then I can really, like, sort of 
build their voice and a voice that suits the character. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes when I get to lettering stage, I'll, I'll completely rewrite some characters' dialogues, uh, a dialogue. Um, and there's sometimes where I've like completely just dropped dialogue mm-hmm. on pages because the art just tells the stories so well. That's actually what I was going to ask is if you've ever gotten a piece of art where like a facial expression or some action that the character is doing has changed whether you're oh, going to yeah. put a dialogue or change what the dialogue is going to be. Absolutely. That happens a lot. Yeah, I do. I, like, I, I love revising the dialogue as I go. So, you know, some of it, some of it's just tightening and some of it's like full on like, you know, there's I'm trying to remember what book it was. There was one book where I completely rewrote the dialogue on two pages and the conversation that they were having in the finished comic was not the conversation they were having in the script. It was something completely <laughs> different. Uh, but it worked, and it, was, it so, was to see other stuff that was coming later on that I hadn't planned at that point. So your artist drew a page based on a, con- a specific conversation, and it turned out to be completely different conversation yeah, once but, it was lettered? But, but it was like, but it fit. Like it, sure. It, it still worked, so yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was just one of those things where I wanted to like, uh, you know, drop some threads mm-hmm. uh, to pick up later on and, and um, saw that that conversation would be perfect. And it was like the conversation I initially had there, I realized was something that was like kind of had already been touched upon and didn't mm-hmm. need to be touched upon again, even though I'd written it uh, uh, that way. Do, what do your scripts look like? Do you, do they, do you follow a specific format or like a... Uh, sc- a screenplay type format or do you just kind of I have like my own sort of bastardized script format mm-hmm. like which is probably not super like everyone's is like a little bit different mm-hmm. you know but uh, mine is just yeah it's just like it's something I came up with like I, I, you know I, I just write in word I don't write in final sure, sure. draft or anything like that um, and that was because I always hated when I got final draft scripts where the the, the dialogue is all centered Mm-hmm. As a letter, that's a pain in the ass to deal with when you're copying it and, and pulling it over because the formatting's all screwed up. Oh yeah, but um, yeah, I have just a pretty simple format where it's just like top of the page, it's like page one, all like one is spelled out, you know, and it's bold, underlined, and then like panel one is like bold, and I just use a numeral one. I don't know why I make that distinction, but <laughs> it's what I do. Whatever works for you, right? Yeah, like- and then and then I just type. You know, the panel description and dialogue is always... I always keep the dialogue just, le- you know, like, um, left justified, you know, mm-hmm. with it. Like, some people center it. Um, it's not It's not that... It's a pretty straightforward sort of style, you know. It, it works yeah. for me. And like I said, I only work in Word. I don't use Final Draft or Scrivener or anything. I want to use Scrivener because everyone tells me it's amazing. I know. I'm the I same way. I cannot figure it out. <laughs> and everyone's like, no, it's easy. I'm like, no. It's either really hard or I'm really stupid, so I'm right. going with it's hard. I was uh, I was speaking with another author yesterday who um, she and her husband kind of work on their scripts together, and he does because he's like a, a project planner, so he does a whole bunch of her like outline work in Visio, and then gives it to her t- for writing. And I I mentioned Scrivener to her, and she said exactly the same thing. And I've had the same experience. Like I've tried Scrivener, and I just can't wrap my brain around using the features that are supposed to make it easier. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've heard from everyone it's really easy to use, but I like it's not like Word is hard to use, or like right. like it's not like it's it's screwing me up using that. Like I'm, I'm perfectly happy doing that. So, well, it's um, all about figuring out the syntax of the program you're using too, and you know, just once you learn the the quirks. Yeah, and it's and also for me, like I have like a PC desktop and a Mac laptop, mm-hmm. so it's good to have a cross platform thing. Sure. I don't want to have to like get Scrivener for both different, even though like Scrivener's like. 10 bucks or whatever it is it's <laughs> yeah. like cheap as shit but like uh, I'm, I'm 
I'm happy with what I'm what I'm right. using. So I went to a panel on writing once where one of the authors in there actually tried to suggest to the audience that they write everything in notebooks in ha- by hand first, and then type it from what you've written. That's not a bad idea though. Like I, I keep notebooks. Uh, and I just write notes in there, like this. Sure. Oh, of course, that's why, yeah, so fig- why. why I figure shit out, like just with pen. Because yeah. I, I love scratching yeah. shit out. Because you're not like limited by you know, like so with, if you're using words like you know, line line, and yeah, you could put you know, like an indent in there and then a note. Yeah. But it's just so much easier to write like a little side thing on the tangent. Yeah, and exactly. the best thing about like writing in notebooks is notebooks don't have Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> that is Good fair. Point. That is so fair. there's like zero distraction. You you can just sit down there and just like just like kind of like. Like for me, it's like free. Uh, uh, that's like freeform thinking. Like when mm-hmm. when I'm writing down, and I, I just write everything down that I can mm-hmm. think of, and just like cross it out. And then like I would literally like have like like if you read my notebook, sometimes you'll think I'm schizophrenic because I will like have arguments with myself. It's like you know, like it's <laughs> the like exact same thing. It's like Victoria's leaving the compound. It's like why? Why is she leaving? Why is she leaving? It's like well, because she's leaving because of this. I'm like, well, how is she getting out then? But does she go this way or does she go that way? Why? Why does she go that way? And I'm like, shut up. But like, it, it's it's good for like you know like uh-huh. like the back and forth. Yeah. Sort of you can justify something to yourself almost. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, trying to like you know, trying to get like that like you know an- anticipate like questions that p- people might have because that's always the worst. Am I like I'm just like no, it's not you. Your it's mic. the All it's right. the it's the equipment. Right. Don't worry about it. Um, but like because there's nothing worse and again like I I don't I, I'm not reading reviews but like. The only good thing I ever got from like one review was like I remember that someone was questioning something that was happening in one of my series. I'm like, oh shit, I never thought of that. Like, so, <laughs> like, so it's good for like trying to anticipate that sort of thing because there's nothing worse than somebody like like pulling at you know a string that uh, you didn't realize is hanging off your sweater, right? And yeah, yeah. Uh, and the whole thing just falls apart. But um, yeah, I like writing in notebooks first. I keep I have like like 50 notebooks at home, and I just like. We'll grab one and like go to the, mm-hmm. like a Starbucks or whatever, and and write in it and just just it w- especially when I'm like stuck in a script because even when I have my outlines when I go to script I still do like to leave a little bit of room for like stuff. You just yeah, 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 sort yeah. of wiggle room. Yeah, 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 wiggle room for stuff and like and then sometimes that screws me in that like I'm like oh I don't have like you know I, I finished writing the issue and it's 15 pages. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't want scenes to extend just for the sake of fluff. So like, like I need, I need like seven more. It's never been that extreme, but like, you know, as an extreme example, like I need more pages. I need to, I need shit that makes sense in here. And um, what, like, basically, it's usually I've done something wrong, so I got to go away with a notebook and try and figure out what it is I've done wrong and mm-hmm. fix it. And um, you know, and 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 just, I found I'm just more critical with a with a with a pen in hand. So. Yeah, I mean, I. I, I do the same thing. I've got notebooks that I keep all my ideas in and I write down and I, I literally have the same kind of like arguments where I'll come up with an idea and then two pages later I'll change it and yeah. then go back to the original page and go, this was stupid and scratch <laughs> it out and actually write that down so that right. when I'm looking through the book, I'm like, oh, that's my stupid idea. Right. Okay, let's... But the the concept of actually writing the like the actual prose in a notebook first is just baffling to me, but... There's, um, you know what? Uh, my favorite author, my favorite author in the world is Elmore Leonard. Mm-hmm. And he wrote everything on, on uh, longhand mm-hmm. on uh, note paper. And he, had, he didn't even own a computer. He had someone else type it up for him. Hmm. And he just wrote three or four pages a day. And he would just kind of redo those pages until they were perfect. And then he would hand them off to somebody else who would type them. 
and uh, he so he wrote everything along and mm -hmm. I tried I got in touch with his agent when he was still alive I wanted to buy one of his like longhand pages yeah. oh, of just writing but like no dice they oh. would not sell it but uh, he, it, it's cool because like he used to work I can't remember what he did but before he quit I want to say it was insurance but I feel like that's not right but he used to write like he used to um, write at work mm -hmm. and this is like, it was before computers but he would have a, a drawer and he would have his drawer open and he would be writing with a notepad <laughs> in the drawer so that if anybody ever came in his office he could just like pull his hand out of his drawer as if he was just pulling a pen out of it you know and then go back to work <laughs> and so he'd do a lot of writing there but uh that so there you know there are people who've done it I, and yeah uh, it, no, I, it's, it's tough it would be tough right you got no word count going on you don't know like <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like i'm just i'm a slow writer hand my handwriting is right. slow so i i couldn't even imagine it but like I, bringing the subject of Elmore Leonard up like I know you you know you you do crime comics and you really enjoy that that genre um, aside from Elmore Leonard which I think is uh, I, a lot of people who are into crime stuff like his stuff yeah. I really enjoy Elmore Leonard stuff too what are some of your other favorite crime authors uh, Stark you know, uh -huh. Richard Stark what? yeah Richard Stark um, The Hunter yeah all uh, the Parker books yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, which I know is like Westlake and it's, I know it's just Donald Westlake writing under pen name sure. but the Stark books are way better than the Westlake books oh god yeah um <laughs> Uh, Jim Thompson, of course, you know, um, really Richard Price, uh, Rick, wait, Richard, Richard Price. Price, he did, um, was he the one that all the, the stories Samaritan and, okay. uh, and, oh, okay. and yeah, Freedom Land. Um, yeah, I know a guy named Richard Pace. So it was like, screw me up for a sec there. Richard Price, <laughs> um, Ian, uh, Ian Banks, Russell Banks is a, a, a favorite author of mine, um, really been uh, Dennis Lehane I've been reading some of his stuff mm -hmm. lately for some reason he's a guy I avoided for a long time because I think he's a guy that my mom was reading mm -hmm. and so like, my mom reads something I'm not going to read it <laughs> um, no offense mom um, I'm sure she's a regular listener yeah, of this of podcast how's murder book been doing now that the trade come came out uh, good I think I don't know I'm also really ignorant of like, numbers sales numbers <laughs> I'm like literally the worst dude in comics for not like <laughs> Um, I, I, it, I, the reaction's been really good so far, mm -hmm. but um, uh, I don't know, like, reviews-wise. I've only seen, like, one review, and, like, I just read the headline, and, and that was good, you know. Um, and somebody paraphrases, because apparently the guy said in there, just don't read all of Murder Book at once because you'll want to kill yourself, <laughs> which is it's cool. It's fine. I get it. I understand that. But... Um, yeah, it seems to be getting pretty good reception. I've been selling quite a few of them here, and a lot of people have been coming up and, and, and talking to me about it. And cool. so, you know, hopefully hopefully the sales are good. I have, z like I said, zero idea what the numbers were on it. So, uh, What are you working on right now? Well, I'm working on The Mantle that comes mm -hmm. out in May through Image. It's like a superhero book. And The Field's uh, over, right? It was Yeah, Field's just the four issues. Four issues yeah. and it's done? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the mantles with Brian Level uh, is drawing it. He's mm -hmm. pretty amazing, and Jordan Boyd is coloring it. He's been doing just incredible work on it. So like a superhero superhero so book? Yeah, it's like a capes book coming out through Image, but it's you know like it's kind of like is is a similar idea to something like the Phantom or, or, or Green Lantern. Uh, but I guess without the rings, because I just realized both those guys have rings. But like, <laughs> it's a thing where like where like it's a, a power that's like passed down. Okay. So like one host for the power dies, and, and the power the seeks person. out another host, right? Like and se ran seemingly randomly seeks out a host. Um, 
But the one thing that like I di- dislike, I guess, about like something like Green Lantern is that like Hal Jordan gets a power and now we've had him for like 40 years or whatever. I think he's, he's not had the ring periodically, but you know he's always going to get it back. It's always, <laughs> there's always going to be Hal Jordan. Uh, in the mantle, the guy gets the the powers. He finds out like right after he gets the powers, like these superheroes come and they're like tr- they're like, you know, there's a guy called the Plague who hates all these these mantles, and uh, so he just kills them all as they come online. And uh, but like you've got crazy powers, and you know like the the previous host died. And he's like, well, like like how many previous hosts? And he's like, well, there's been like 38 hosts in the last 10 <laughs> years, right? Like, so like the turnover rate's pretty high. Um, that seems like it could be a cool concept for uh, you know actually doing an arc with one character and then having them die you can and the pa- mantle yeah, moves yeah, on. You know, it, absolutely. So I, I kind of want to get into that, like how like it, like you've got this awesome power and it totally sucks yeah. because like you all of a sudden also have a, a villain who's just hell bent on killing you. Like he's not like he's not like some like Lex Luthor. Let's build land in the ocean um, <laughs> type villain. He's like by his only. Mm-hmm. driving force is to kill each mantle as they sort of come online and um it, you know and there there's a rationale behind it that we kind of get into and mm-hmm. and it's it's been a lot of fun to write um i actually brought in like some like uh, one character so far that i created when i was like 12 <laughs> and so i just revamped him and brought him in, brought him into this and actually i think that's the first time where i designed it like i i yeah. did the the preliminary drawing uh, drawings for the character designed him. I redesigned him for what he looked like when I was a kid um, because even though I actually created him before Deadpool came around he looked almost identical to Deadpool like when Deadpool came around uh, just white and black instead of red and black mm-hmm. uh, which just means like we're just ripping off Spider-Man design <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, now he looks like like, like, a, like some sort of metropolitan dude with like these funky glasses and stuff. But <laughs> it's kind of cool to like do that, like to, to be able to bring in those characters and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that comes out in May from Image Shadowline, and then I have Cluster, which is ongoing mm-hmm. right now through Boom. Um, I have Murder Book just came out this week. The last the last um, trade of Sheltered comes out in a couple weeks, and uh, I've got like two other projects coming up of boom that haven't been announced so i can't say what they are okay i'll just say that they're, they're crime crime things uh i'm finally at the point where i can get crime stuff happening which that's is cool nice. and i have actually a a unannounced book uh later on in this year through image that's uh will be announced i don't know in a couple months anyway that's a, a crime thing too so this know. is the point where i'm supposed to ask him what the titles of those books are right and i'm is, not is that what i'm supposed to do <laughs> no you're not supposed <laughs> to do anything There was actually more supposed to be more to that interview, probably another five or ten minutes, but the uh, the the equipment died as we said earlier. So, um, but luckily we got what we got. It's a very good interview. Again, thanks thanks to Ed for his annual stopping by at our booth. Um, he's an awesome dude, and he's always uh, game to game to do an interview with us, even when he's tired. So it was a I gotta bring that tooth booze next year. Yeah, I he was about bringing a flask with me, and I was like, yeah, I should probably not do this on the show floor. <laughs> He did not. Uh, he did not look f- all there on Sunday afternoon. Like he was. He <laughs> Saturday was. That was rough. Beat. Um, and so was I. I mean, I was so hungover on, on Sunday morning. Man, I was just destroyed. But um, I was but doing was, great. Yeah. But I hung out with a ten-year-old all Saturday. <laughs> so haha. Uh, so yeah. Uh, well, science was 
Já fez GB? Vá. For the last several months, we've been reading Lucifer. It's been... It's been longer than that. It's been since the last long read, technically. Right. Like, so, I mean... For the last time unit, we have been reading yeah. Lucifer. For an amount of time, we have been reading the full 75-plus issue run of Lucifer. Um, the It's actually 79... Technically, uh, there are there is a three issue miniseries called the Morningstar Option that's at the very beginning, and then at the very end there was a there one was shot a one shot Nirvana. that I actually didn't get to. Um, but it's real um, it's I, move. yeah, uh, but I uh, we read the the Morningstar Option in the main the main run of the series. Um, for those of you who don't know, the Lucifer was technically a spinoff of Sandman. Um, we actually did a show ages ago about um, the fourth Sandman hardcover, which, what is the title of it? Season of Mists. Season of Mists, which is kind of the setup for the, it has I the setup for this. I wasn't even on that show. Nope. Uh, and you don't even like Sandman, I, and yet. I, I yeah. like Sandman, I don't like Neil Gaiman. Yeah. And okay, I don't like Neil fair. Gaiman as a comics writer. Okay, yeah. that's fair. So, um, in that issue of Sandman is is where Lucifer makes the decision that he is just closing the gates to hell. He boots all of the Im- he boots all of the immortals out of hell, closes the gates, gets his wings ripped off and leaves. And gives the key to Dream and is like deal with this sucker. Yeah. Um Puts and then gives, how, I'm trying to think in Sandman how does the wings thing play out cuz they end up in Chinese hell. Uh, uh so he needs okay. He it, needs it's to Japanese get rid- hell. or Japanese hell. He needs to uh lose the wings in order to actually leave, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, that's part of him becoming mortal and just chilling out in a nightclub is, like, he can't have the bat wings and the yeah. attitude. Right. Well, he can have the, we attitude, have the attitude. But <laughs> not the wings. so much attitude. It's great. Snarky asshole Lucifer is yeah, best Lucifer. Snarky asshole Lucifer. This comic book was written by Mike Carey. It's actually, technically, like, the, the base creative team of Lucifer is the same as the creative team of un- the Unwritten. Um, so it's Mike Carey as the writer and f- and the the core artist is is uh, Peter Gross with Ryan Kelly doing finishes on it. Um, and then there's, a, you know, like there's any a ton of, of other... There's a ton of other guest artists. I, I think probably the most prominent guest artist was Dean Ormston um, and then a whole bunch of other random people like Michael Jake or Michael Kaluta did uh, art for a while. He did a bunch of covers. Yeah, um, the covers are fantastic yes. on this series. Um, P. Craig Russell, uh, Colleen Durand did an issue. Yeah. Which is inked really weird so it doesn't even look like her stuff but you know, whatever. Yeah. So the premise of this is that, of this comic book is that Lucifer has left left hell behind and in um this version of the comic book one of the things that he has got is um he has a letter from god that gives him one basic free passage into heaven for you know for one thing like if he wants to go talk to god or whatever he's got a letter of passage a letter of passage that gives him one free ride through heaven um, get out of jail free card. Yeah. Well, I thought the letter of passage was actually more. It's just passage. It's passage. You can use it wherever oh, you, use you it want. Wherever it doesn't have to be specifically heaven. Basically, it means that he can go wherever he wants and the host of heaven is not going to prevent him from doing so. Um, <coughs> so a lot of the premise of the early parts of this book center around um, one, Lucifer regaining his immortality. 
and two, and that's like very early. And then that's two, the bit where they go to Japanese yeah. hell, where right, he gets his wings back. He gets yeah. Um, and then scheming for a way to use the power that has been imbued in his letter of passage to uh, do something kind of goofball. Well, I mean, uh, it makes sense. Create, he creates create his world. own reality. He right. create, makes his own creation completely outside of the bounds of God's creation yep. and is like, hey, Everybody all y'all, a piece of it. <laughs> don't worship anything. Just stop. Not even stop. me. Not even me. I'm, yeah. I'm gone. I'm out. Um, so there's some stories that take place like within his creation and there's some stories that take place regarding the politics surrounding his right. creation, which are many. And he, he uses the power of the, of the, the note and he tears it to shreds and each shred becomes a separate gate into his creation. Mm-hmm. And he spreads those gates all over God's creation. So in various dimensions, you know, there's like, uh, in this mythology, all of the earthly mythologies fall under Yahweh or God's creation. So like Asgard is a, yeah. um, is one of them, um, the Japanese mythologies. And all mm-hmm. of those are part of the same creation in different aspects. And basically he makes it so that every single aspect of Yahweh's creation has now a gate into his creation. Um which I thought was actually, like, when I started reading this, I had no fucking clue what to expect or where to go with it. Um, and I thought that was, like, one of the, just, like, a fascinating idea that he had, you know, his his whole thing was just like, you know what, I'm I'm sick of what this creation represents. And I'm sick of the concept that the people who are, who are born here are beholden to worship uh, of immortals i feel like it's a really interesting discussion on free will it is um because i mean lucifer even calls himself out and he's like i don't know if i'm you know actually acting of my free will or if this was planned because he rebelled what three seconds after the creation of everything yeah something like that i mean i don't know about three seconds after the creation of anything because there's there's some bits later where he's like working with lilith and they're all building the palace and he's having demon babies and then he's like wait Wait, heaven is crap. I'm yeah. Out. Well, yeah. I think that I think, I mean, you just hit on it. I think actually the entirety of this comic book is one of the things that makes it so interesting is that um, it takes all of the, you know, the Judeo-Christian mythology mixes other mythologies in with it, and then um, it's a treatise on. He doesn't he doesn't portray Lucifer as a good versus evil thing. He portrays Lucifer and hell and his um, his ideals versus heaven as the the struggle between um, free will and uh, um, destiny is what I'm trying to say, but not like fate. fate? Yeah, fatalism Fatalism versus free will. And and I think that's what's interesting about it is that um, you know you've you've got this entire mythology where um they say several times in here that you know time is kind of immaterial to the immortals and in a lot of so the create god's creation kind of exists in all times and all places for the people who have the power to perceive it as such um so being that you know god has this kind of like influence on everything that he's created throughout the time and from the beginning from the beginning of it to the end of it um uh, everything that falls under his creation is now under his influence and doesn't really have the free will that Lucifer 
um, demonstrates at the beginning, and it's it's he's like the embodiment of the concept of free will within Yahweh's creation. Yeah. Um, it's like punk kid realizing he was just like doing the man's work, man. <laughs> so like if I rem- okay, because there's a lot of fucking material there's to a go. Lot. There's a ton it's of very dense. There's it- a ton of stories, and they they all like track throughout the entire series, which I frankly think is impressive. Yeah. Yes, but my my one question is, I can't remember if it's once or more than once that Lucifer mentions he's like why doesn't Yahweh just snuff me out like he could do it if he wanted to why hasn't he yet yeah and that's one of the things that like keeps Lucifer up at night you know that's a that bugs the shit out of him is like okay so you know I'm obviously being a huge pain in the ass what's why am I getting a non-response from Yahweh yeah um yeah like you said there's so many story threads in this that that um this has some of my favorite Characters. Yeah. Uh, what's the name of the guy in Hell who was like the etiquette instructor? Christopher like, Rudd. Christopher Rudd. Thank yeah, you. yeah. I love Christopher Rudd. That's a great storyline too. Yeah, it is. Christopher Rudd. So there's some of the side characters that are important in the series. Christopher Rudd definitely is. Was he was a sword, uh, a sword and etiquette instructor in Victorian, like the England, 1600s. Was it? Uh, yeah, way b- before Victorian. Before Victorian. Okay. Like and, Reformation, maybe. Yeah. Um, who committed a... He killed a kid. He killed a yeah. kid out of jealousy as a way to get back at some other adult, his right. brother, I think. So he goes to hell, of course, and is pulled from his torment by Lady Liss, who is a demon. Sort um, of a baroness of hell. Uh, and through his own cunning and a lot of luck, actually um, ends up uh, freeing himself from his punishment in hell and becoming a lord of hell himself um there's gaudium who was a gaudium and spara a couple of ex-cherubs who um initially get um get introduced because their uh gaudium is assigned to protect elaine belloc who becomes a major you know (laughs) the major um force in the spoilers character God gets replaced, much like in the uh, incarnations of immortality. Or yeah. Yeah, yeah, of immortality. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a ton of side stories in it that Mazakine, Mazakine, um, okay, wait, ma- daughter of Lilith and the leader of the Lilim. Um, what is oh fuck the name of the angel who's always like fight me, Lucifer? Oh, I'm a dick. Early in the it's, series, it's and I can't series. remember his name. Uh, now. Manadiel? Is it Manadiel? That might be it. Yeah. Um, there's also that dude that is like co-war leads with Lilith at the end, and he's a jerk, but a That's different jerk. Fenris, isn't it? No. Not oh no 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 no! Yeah, I know who you're talking about, oh, and I can't remember Jesus. his name. They've all so got angels. That's names. the pr- that's the problem. They all end in el of in some way. I can't way. keep track of the so angels. Everybody else, cherubim. Yeah, I mean, Goddard and Sparrow are like the clowns of the series, and they're like comic relief. They're great. Uh, they are really, great. but they're like plot relevant comic relief, which is why they didn't go all Jar Jar. Yeah. That is uh, so. That's the thing that I have to say. Like, I don't know how much, how many specifics I'm going to get into when I'm talking about this because the density of the story and the the number of of intertwined characters and arcs is it's really hard to discuss. Because, Everything becomes relevant at the um, end. It's great. Which is which is one of the things that. I'm glad that I read this for the show because if I'd have gotten to issue 30 or so reading this myself, I'm not, I'm not sure I would have stuck with it mm. because up until that point, the first half, third to a half of this storyline, it does kind of feel like 
demon of the week random, right? There's there's yeah, a lot of like Buffy-esque three, where there's yeah. like you know it starts out with you know here's random story, here's random story, here's random story, but once you get to like um, is it Mansions Mon- of Silence kind of pulls it all yes. together. Yeah, I was like, uh, it's not Monsters and Children. That's the second one. That's What's the second the- one. Although that's probably one of my favorites. It, the Mansion of Silence, and then this this the um. The storyline where Lucifer retrieves Elaine Belloc's soul and then oh, eventually... Um, that, that is Mansions of Silence. Is it? Is it? Is that She's stuck in a lantern. Oh, right. Stuck in a lantern okay. in Mansions of Silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They're all in the Naglfar. Pretty much all the main characters are there except for Rachel Bagai, but she does become relevant in the end. A bunch of right. the people from the very first trade show up in the very last trade and sort of a lovely thing. And this is the whole bit um, where they go stick their face in the thoughts of God. Okay, so while, while you guys are both in a pool. desperately tearing through these volumes as quickly as possible, one thing that I want to point out is I feel like this book is on the, the, the correct side of the Vertigo imprint where Sandman is on the wrong side. Tell, tell me more about that. Okay, so um, I feel that Mike Carey has done an excellent job of balancing his writing with using the art. Mm. Um, like yeah. Also, Books of Magic is in the same yep. vein. Um Oh shit! What's the uh, the other book that Mike Carey did? Um, Unwritten. Mm-hmm. Well, the first half of Unwritten is in the same vein. Sandalphon is the name Sandalphon, of the that's, yep, that's angel who um, bears several angelic children with Lilith and becomes part of the fight against heaven. Sorry, no, no worries. Uh, but like, so I feel like Lucifer, Hellblazer, uh, Books of Magic, Unwritten. That is the correct balance. Like Vertigo, and like the first minute, ten trades of fables. Uh, yeah. Once the war is over, then yeah, it's yeah. like okay, it's done. But there is a distinct, also subsect of Vertigo, which is more like books as opposed to comics. You mean just like comics that are way too focused on the prose and prose don't dense. use the prose art dense. enough? Yeah, yeah. Like, as um, a storytelling medium. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think that's. Um, I mean, I love Sandman, but it is really prosy yeah. as a comic. And. It, the thing that makes like I don't I don't mind Sandman, but I agree in some ways with Andy. Where the thing that aggravated me about Sandman when I tried to read it was the fact that he would describe, like he would prose describe the things that were on the page on the page in artwork, and that's like you're you're not letting your artist do what he's there to do. Yeah, you know you've got Dave fucking McKean, and you know he's amazing. It's not necessarily my style of choice. But, you know, I understand that he is very talented. I don't think McKean did any interiors. I think yeah, he, he just did. did covers, did he? He did um, a bunch of stuff in Doll's House. Oh, okay. I, well, but regardless, like... Point, uh, well, point and being. Sandman never really had a solid artist. Like, at least Lucifer, I mean, technically, Ryan, or Peter Gross was the main core artist right. throughout it, but, like, Sandman never had that. Sandman was, like, whoever they could get to pair at that moment. Yeah. And the thing is, I actually really like that. Like I think that sometimes I do. I think I mean I liked it in Sandman. I thought it worked well in Lucifer. I'm glad that they have the variety as much as I'm glad that they have mostly Peter Gross. Like the the Dean Ormondson stuff is really like has a really interesting texture to it, and I feel like some of the characters um, like Gaudium and Spera in in Demon, Dean Ormondson art are really cool, and I feel like he captures to, the like 
weirdness of some of the places better. And then I also feel like Peter Gross captures the weirdness of some of the places better. So since we're, you know, this is a good segue into talking about art because I really, I, I really want to talk about awesome. the art in this dibs. book yes, because so, so one thing that no, I was, not dibs. I was the one that said that can, I wanted to talk about the fucking art. So one thing that actually on that tangent that I like is in books that have a lot of like sub stories, I like it when the artist changes because that is a visual representation that you need to sort yeah. of shift into yeah. like, okay, this is a different story at this point. I mean, it's related, but it's not a continuation of what was going on. So you need to take that like mental break and it uh-huh. gives your brain like this chance to be like, oh, okay, reset everything. And you can clearly separate that story from the previous story and the next story. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. It's, it's the same thing that they do with... Uh, uh, the sixth gun stuff, right? They have they have um, single issue um, single issues that step away from the main storyline, and they always artists. have. Uh, primarily, they've been doing. Um, oh God, now I can't remember his name. My brain is so fried today. It's the artist that did the tooth and a couple other. Or so. Yep. I anyway, don't know who you're talking about, but and no. yeah, and they have like Brian Chirilla doing a lot of the miniseries stuff, but it's it steps away from Brian Hurt's art to to have that representation of this is this is something that is separate from the main. It's story. related but separate. Yeah. Also, um, like while I'll admit there are some of the the artists that I'm not a huge fan of, I feel like the artists overall did a great job of the art styles matching the stories and the content. And that's where I disagree. Really, and I disagree because. Um, I mean, if we go back to when we reviewed The Unwritten on the show, um, I was not a big fan of Peter Gross's art. I think that in The Unwritten, I think that he did a f- an admirable job of, um, as we discussed on that show, of um, adapting his art style to the various different uh, literary styles that they were trying to portray in in the unwritten, right? So they'd have, you know, they'd have the series in the unwritten where they were technically inside Moby Dick, right? And yeah. so he'd change his art style to to match. Um, I I hate to be. I hate to be such a downer, but I no, you don't do. I actually do in this case. I don't like Peter Gross's art. In so this is book. this just? You don't like it for the settings, or what? No, I actually, um, I his art to me looks very amateurish in this series. Really? Um, I don't like his figure constructions, especially his facial construction for Lucifer. Really? Um, I think my biggest problem with his art was that toward the end, when you start getting into the more epic, like when they start uh, showing the invasion of the Silver City. Yeah. I thought that his art fell f- far short of the uh, aspirations of the story. Um, I just, I really just didn't like, I don't like his style. I think that there are other artists that could have portrayed it better. I don't, I thought in a lot of cases, especially when they were in, especially when they were portraying um, the more uh, horrific realms of like hell and other places i thought that his designs for demons were kind of top level boring really yeah i just I have to like disagree with everything you're saying right now okay 
I I mean it's it maybe it's I a taste he, thing, but I, I just I think it's a taste thing. I think he captured like various lands of weirdness really well. I liked uh I liked the Japanese hell in particular. I thought he did a, a great job with. I liked the mansions of silence and the the flesh things. I think his demons are interesting. Yeah, see and I thought so f- landscape designs place designs like the the Japanese hell and all that stuff were adequate um i like what what would you change like who would you have draw this book instead well it depends on whether you're asking me who in the time period or who now uh, who now we're in magical fantasy land james heron in heartbeat okay i think james like that's one of the things that i actually wanted to talk about was books like this i think there are a lot of vertigo titles and a lot of um uh indie i guess would be the way I'd put it, uh, titles from like the mid-90s to the mid-2000s that um, got what artists they could because they, because frankly their their sales numbers were never huge. Um, just let me, let me pass this out a little bit. I didn't, th- I don't think that there, there are, there are quite a few um, Vertigo titles from back in the day that I actually don't like the art, that I think that they're fantastically written and don't don't have quality artists that live up to their writing. Um, I think like, like Sandman, for example, I think is wildly inconsistent. Um, and, and yes, they change their art fairly frequently, but there are, there are some runs of Sandman that just the artwork is terrible. It's just uh-huh. flat, terrible. Um, but I don't know. There's just something about Peter Gross's art in this that just, I, um, I think it's, I think it's acceptable. Um, I don't think it's good at any point. Like, especially when I see some of the other, like I actually really enjoyed Dean Ormston's art in this. Um, I don't think it's necessarily right for every storyline in this, but I think he's, I I think he's at least got a, a more um, consistent, consistent style and actual, like there's a style to his artwork where I I do feel like this is early in Peter Gross's career. And I think he's, there's a lot of feeling out in his art. There's a lot of part where he's still kind of developing his style, which has been solidified by the time he gets to Unwritten. And part of it is that I just, I'm not a fan of his style in general, but I do think that in this, I don't know, it's just, it just doesn't. So I think I know why for me that didn't bother me at all, because I do think he feels out his style and is is much more sure of it as as the comic goes on. I think, you know, about issue 30 as he's starting to hit his, his stride style-wise. Um, the reason why I honestly, one, didn't notice, and two, it didn't bother me, uh, is because I read a lot of web comics. Fair. And that's like all people do is learn how to draw by doing it on the yeah. internet. And that's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a different opinion about it, but like, I I don't know. I There's a lot of older comics that I've seen that I think are, are fantastically written and the art is kind of mediocre. Do you think that, that was really just like a wish... 90s style thing then? Like that's how people were drawing in the nineties? No, because I don't I, I think that this is wildly different than anything than like quote unquote mainstream comics you'd find in the nineties. I wasn't talking about mainstream like, comics. I was talking about like all yeah. the vertigo stuff. Um, is it just like half of vertigo article artists in the nineties were icky to your sensibilities or I don't know. I, I I would have to I would have to sit down and do a lot more looking into what comics were out around the same time as Lucifer and be able to to be able to answer that effectively. Um, I'm 
judging it solely based on my experience with reading this book. And I'm, I'm just like, eh. um, but one of the things that I've always wanted to see, and this will never ever happen because it's too, it's, it would basically be seen as an insult to the original artists is there are a lot of comics that I would love to see the original scripts rebooted with a modern artist. Um, and one of the things that I said, like I said, James Heron, as far as the artwork for this. And I think I have a, I have a, a strange um, kind of feeling about using James Heron to do the art for this book, because I think James Heron would be fantastic for all of the, uh, monstrous creatures, creatures, the demons, the more horrific sides of the environments that it, that this book involves. But I'd almost love to see him paired with an artist, a cleaner artist that could do reality, all of the People. reality and and the more angelic uh, representations okay. of stuff. Um, because I do part. think that I do think that James Heron's art is very rooted in his horror style right okay. um he's he's very good at body horror he's very good at creature design he's very good at um uh, horrific environments but i think that another a cleaner artist would be better to do like the angelic stuff and it would be kind of interesting to see the two styles mixed on the page for me but that's i mean this is all pie in the sky like uh-huh. wish fulfillment bullshit that's never going to happen nobody will ever do that with a comic book the closest we've ever gotten to somebody doing that with a comic book is a lot of the re-releases of some of the older Vertigo stuff. They've had them recolored. Yeah. Um, like Sandman's Which would be a perfect helpful example. for Sandman because original coloring oh, on Sandman was ass. Yeah. Uh, original coloring for a lot of books that weren't... Like, the transition to computer coloring in the mid-90s... Um, was where a lot of the newer coloring styles have come about and a, a lot of the way that they're rendered has has completely revolutionized the way comics are colored and the way that they look. And s- before a lot of that happened, and that's um, that's why I said they got what artists they could because I think that in a lot of cases, Vertigo was was counterculture comics at the yeah. time. It was, oh, yeah. um, you know, it it wasn't a huge moneymaker. It was DC going, okay, we want to do things that we can't put in our main storyline, so let's use the money we're making off of our main books to fund something. Uh, it's the one for me as opposed to the one for money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's it was the start of the non-completely indie creator-owned comics movement. Yes. So, like, Vertigo was the seed from whence, you know, the redesign of Image and studios like Boom Studios had space to exist. Right. Um, I think it was important. So, anyway, I mean, I, I've said my piece. I just, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the art. I think the writing is absolutely fantastic. Um, and one of the things that I really liked about Carrie's writing was that he, he, I have rarely seen someone weave mythologies together so um, seamlessly. Yeah. Uh, the world feels very natural. I never questioned how this was all functioning. And I, and even though he doesn't explicitly talk about like, well, I've taken all these world mythology bits and then made them part of this one creation and here's the physics that play. Yeah. It is. It's great. It's a, yeah. it, It's just sort of like evident as the story goes on. And he gets into the cooler bits of Judeo-Christian mythology as well right. as world mythology. It's well, Sandman done right. And I think that's that- fair. I think that he sells it because of 
because there's nobody in the story ever questions it and lucifer is just he just does his thing and like when he needs something from a specific mythology he's he just, just like i'm gonna there. go there and i'm go. gonna do this thing and it sells it so completely the characters that, are convinced so the reader is convinced yeah because, yeah you know if your characters question your plot or background elements or how things work in the world then the reader will never truly accept right. it and i feel like he does an amazing job with exposition, actually, because I don't think there's any piece of this that is exposition heavy, which, right. considering the breadth of the world is creating, is really impressive. Yeah, there's never a point where he just stops he, and explains Yeah, things. he never takes the reader's intelligence for granted. He never feels like he has to explain what's going on, which, in my mind, is one of the best things yeah. a book can do. Yeah. I hate it when someone, like, some, like, third tier character walks up and be like actually so what's going on with the uh the note of passage is right. that because when he ripped it up each individual part became its own uh, separate note of passage the, or even like hey let's have an awkward conversation about what's going on because i'm yeah. not sure there are occasionally um r- recap pages at the beginning of of arcs which i'm okay with because it's, it's not a huge in the story, story. <laughs> it, yeah it well no that's not true sometimes like there there were a couple where it was like gaudium telling Sparrow what had happened over the last arc. Or right? like, here's the crew of the Nagalfar. Yeah. And, and th- but they okay. were never they were never horrendous and they never took that long. I feel like so if I was, I was like, reading it in issues, I would want those. Especially considering that if you if you look at the covers for the original covers for the singles, there were a lot of times where they would actually explicitly say new story arc or yeah. something on the cover. So I have a feeling that you know if somebody walks into a comic shop and they they pick up a comic book and it says new story arc on the cover, they're like, okay, let's give this a shot. They pick it up, they get that little bit of you know lead in and then they're like okay now I can kind of move along with this story arc and 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 be acquainted with it um that was but one of the things that I realized reading this book was that cuz I I didn't read a lot of vertigo in its you know heyday mm. um and I you know the the first vertigo book I ever read was actually fables uh and that even that I was 30 issues in before I started reading it. So going back and reading a bunch of older Vertigo stuff, I realized just how much, how many of their core books were um, based in varying versions of Judeo-Christian mythology. Yeah. No, Hellblazer, mm-hmm. Preacher, Lucifer, Sandman, you know, these... Sandman touches on it. It's not really heavy into it, but fair. it does have heaven and hell yeah um i appreciate the way that mike carey actually unfolded the sandman mythos in this story because uh at points they interact with dream and kind of recap the whole key to hell situation um they also see delirium and destiny and there's a really interesting death shows up at one point too that's true yeah interesting scene with uh, lucifer and destiny in terms of like Oh yeah, uh, Lucifer is basically going to try to go squeeze Destiny for information, which is never really a successful plan. But at yeah. the same time, Destiny's like, "Look, and we'll hang out for a while, and then I'm going to accidentally reveal something <laughs> to you. Yeah. This is how it's going to go. You can't see the book, but there you go." Well, and I love that part too, where he's like, "You know, Lucifer loses his temper, grabs Destiny's book, and destroys it." And Destiny's like, "The book was just a representation. I, it's all in my head." <laughs> you know, he's like, like, "You're nice, try asshole. You're." You know better than this, dumbass. <laughs> and I get the sense that the endless still sort of 
trump almost even the bounds of the existence as set forth in in this yeah. or at least they they have occupy sort of a different place and it's not necessarily spelled out and that's that's fine it felt yeah. seamless mm-hmm. i i've i've always been interested like different takes on on these mythologies are always interesting to me which is why i'm so enamored with the concept of lucifer as the representation of free will in a in amongst the rest of a religion mm-hmm. right because by the end of the book you actually it actually almost feels like this is a um almost an indictment of christianity in a lot of ways where it it's, is a book called lucifer yeah and it's because lucifer in this book is never a bad guy or a good guy right he's just himself he but the the representation of free will is something that do you rue me i'm chaotic neutral <laughs> yeah um and at, and toward the end of the book when it's it's effectively them saying well you know god has imbued you with his power in such a way that y- whatever you do is has been predetermined for you mm. and i am just trying to free people so that they can make their own choices like i'm trying to do yeah you know <clears throat> And eventually it comes about that the only way to save creation is to to rebuild it under a new god. And even when that's done, Lucifer realizes that the only way he's ever going to have free will is to step outside that and be on his own, regardless of where that takes him. Yeah, I think the the character arc for Lucifer in the ending was was perfect. Yeah, yeah. Andy, are you even listening anymore? I am. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like I'm flipping through the uh, the Eden story. Okay, yeah. yeah. And I, I'll get to that in a minute. But no, I think we're. I mean, that's. I, I was just talking. You know, that's pretty much what I wanted to make. I just love. Uh, I, I've kind of hit on it twice now, but I. That's my favorite part of this book was just this like, the the treatise on on free will versus predetermination is. Um, it, it's not the only message that this book has but it's the one that that rings truest with me um which is why i enjoyed it so much and i love the way that it ends you know there's a point where there's a point at the end of the book where um spoilers uh lucifer's having a conversation with god and and god offers him the the chance to basically mix his own experiences and and mind with god so he can understand god's perspective and mind meld with god and um even in that moment lucifer is like you made me you made me to to defy you and i'm so you know i'm playing right into that buddy yeah so (laughs) what the hell so uh you know, because the trade that he offered was that I will give you my mind, you will give me your mind, and then we can understand each other. And Lucifer's like, Hell "You no. made me, you understand me, and I don't give a fuck about understanding you." So, middle fingers, gotta go. Bye. Um, How, I got an idea. How about I don't take anything from you, and I give you this nice bag of dicks? Yeah, right. Um, Mike trying to think about making a bag I, of dicks, I, I know. and it's the best thing. Anyway, that's irrelevant. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about something thematic and random that doesn't bear plot relevance but i think is an example of how cool this book is and like more subtle thematic ways and that's um a couple two of the two of the characters and stuff that happens to their body so we've got mazikeen and then we've got jill presto jill presto is a cabaret artist who gets 
effectively possessed and impregnated by a deck of sort of fancy tarot cards mm-hmm. um, that are created uh, by an angel created by an angel that are living beings and it's all very fucked up um, and at some point when she's like speaking of free will she's like fuck you cards I'm gonna get an abortion in your assholes and they're like oh how about we just take off one of your hands okay okay yeah. we have power over your body and she's like well um when they're voyaging on the Naglfar, uh, there is a lovely half-giant dude who makes her a hand out of silver, which is um, a screamingly direct parallel to the fairy tale of Maiden Without Hands, which recurs in so many cultures. What's up with all the handless women um, <laughs> and dead babies? That's that's all fairy tales are. Uh, handless women and dead babies. Yes, which, I mean, there are plenty of handless women and dead babies in this as well. It's got eternal themes. Uh, but the point is, by the end of the story, Jill Presto has her natural hand back. Again, mm-hmm. much like the fairy tale, but also as sort of like a... She was she was injured, or she you know she had something taken away from her in terms of will. She had a fake thing that was like almost like the real thing, but not. And then she had the real thing again. Exact same track for Mazikeen and her face, but opposite because Mazikeen exactly Mazikeen mm. originally has like half of a normal face and half of a face that's skeletal. This was how she appeared in Hell. Um, Jill Presto in a moment of omnipotence because cards is like oh i you know i fixed you i put you back correctly and gave her both half of her face that's a great scene because she is pissed like what did you do to my face um as much as it's difficult to understand her dialogue wise when she has half a face sometimes it's okay well it's it's fair because yeah there's a lot of context cues so it's not awful but it does make sense but i actually really liked that sequence too because of the fact that um mazikeen calls out the fact that she's not wearing the mask for her own benefit she's wearing it for other people's benefit while she's in the mortal world right she's like she's like i'm not wearing this because i want to hide myself because i want to hide myself i'm wearing i'm wearing this because if i don't hide myself then you're gonna freak out you're all gonna freak out yeah so and and at one of the last things that lucifer does for mazikeen before he goes off into the wild void yonder um <laughs> the wild void yonder. the wild black yonder i think it's white it's white it's, it's white. white it's like a blank page pay attention andy. i'm sorry it's a I, void it's, it's a colorless void. Yeah. andy doesn't meaning. see colors <laughs> <laughs> sorry uh, <laughs> all right social social justice warrior social justice barbarian i'm a social justice cleric anyway yeah. um she gets her 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 quote real face back like he's like i want you to be as beautiful as you were on the day that i met you and gives her her half face back and she's actually and still intelligible she so doesn't a, yeah. a great alternate version he's like i want you to be as beautiful as the day that i met you and he just throws acid on her back half her face. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. uh i mean considering mazikin's general attitude she'd just like flip him off and be like thanks asshole and yeah. just go uh, i there's love a, their interactions throughout oh the book it's so good like she's such a she's a great figure because on the one hand she is like lucifer's love interest but on the other hand she's a war leader and like has a ton of plot that is not necessarily directly relevant to lucifer um there's a awesome scene where she's like stormed (laughs) stormed heaven given some angels like a, a harsh talking to kicked some ass um this is in cahoots with beatrice who's her co-worker at the at the nightclub who like then it sort of like realizes that there's this whole world of wacky bullshit 
in any case, she's in heaven. She's just yelled at angels. She's like, I need one more thing from you, Beatrice, and makes out with her while flipping off the angels. Yeah. She's like, I need to blaspheme <laughs> right now. <laughs> I, I just want to get like that as a poster with like hashtag life goals. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fantastic scene. Mazikeen is an awesome character in this in this whole thing. Probably my favorite. I mean, that's not really saying much because she's one of the best characters in the book. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm. You've been. I'm just. I, I keep on thinking of like the like. I want to sort of be more eloquent on the discussion of free will versus predetermination. Uh-huh. But I feel like the book kind of covered it all. <laughs> yeah. It really does in subtle and awesome ways. It's like you've got seventy five issues of various perspectives on that debate, mm-hmm. and there's you know like probably what twenty different stories, and each one, for the most part plays into this yeah i mean even in really subtle ways like a story towards the end where um elaine belloc and mona have like the option to go back and be alive again um it's and they have like a day to like go walk around yeah earth and do stuff and elaine goes to like say goodbye to one of her friends and at this point she's all like imbued with the power of michael demiurgos and yeah. has wings and shit but uh that's what she does and mona goes and like steals cds and gets arrested yeah uh, and, <laughs> and sitting, that was it and jumps out the window right, that that's, was the, so, that's such like, but think about that as commentary on free will it's yeah. like she needs to be back at a time and she's like welp i don't I'm need this body here. anymore so fuck, fuck it, it. <laughs> jumps out a window dies and her spirit floats back right yeah. on time which is really I think subtle and interesting commentary on free will uh-huh. versus predetermination. I think I um I liked toward the end too where um they reinforced the the concept of Lucifer being that um the embodiment of free will and reinforcing the necessity for there to be an opposing force of predetermination by him not so subtly forcing Elaine Bellock to choose between being the savior of all creation, but yet being imprisoned as it's uh, as the glue that holds it together simply because he refuses to decide to be imprisoned. He would rather the entirety of creation fall than to be the guy that saves it and and be imprisoned by it and then he so through all of this course of you know slowly building up Elaine Belloc's power um saving her from death by by turning her into a effectively a force in his own creation he sticks her with the rock in a hard place choice of um well you know you you decided to become a god so that you could um, so that you could allow your love for mortal for mortals to to um, dictate how you or how they should live, technically free of the influences of immortals, and yet now you're stuck in a situation where you know God bailed and his creation is falling apart, and if you don't want it to fall apart, you're stuck you're sol uh, and she's, i think she's really clear on it though she's like this wasn't even a choice like this is a false exactly but that's <laughs> what i mean it's like he you know he he kind of gets to, kind of maneuvers her into that place where she's like so fuck here's the question then how much free will do you think elaine bellock really has 
over the course of the story. That's what I mean is like, I don't think she does. I think for the vast majority of the story, she's being manipulated by Lucifer. So, so that how is he a bastion makes, of free will if he's forcing her into choices? He's, he is a representation, not a bastion. Okay. That's what I meant is like, he, he is pretty obviously the only one of the main characters in this book that has his own free will if he has his own free will. If he has his own free will and it right. isn't being all determined by Yahweh anyway, right? I um, mean, Yahweh leaves, so like, I mean, that was, I think, a great thing. It's, it's like, like a domino theory thing. Yeah, you know, okay. if you set something up where it's like you've got a stack of dominoes, let's say you've got 10,000 dominoes in a room, right? And it's going to take hours. And you start that first domino and you leave the room. The it, dominoes are the still, dominoes going. St- still going. You still set it up. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and that was the whole the whole thing is that he asserts his own free will at the end by leaving all of creation behind, right? He, Elaine Belloc um, solidifies create the three creations into one whole, shores up the walls so that, because, because if she hadn't, even Lucifer would have fallen apart and died because, of, because he was one of God's creations, right? right? So once that's shored up, he, he was basically... At the point they realized that God had abdicated the throne and was was and the the entirety of creation was falling apart, Lucifer's entire purpose at that point was to manipulate everyone else into making sure that he didn't die so that he could make his own choice at the end and leave. Right? At least that's how I read it. it was like he I, can see that. His, I don't know. His he is that embodiment of free will because he is basically manipulating everyone else into saving his own ass. So, do you think his whole motivation for saving the world was to save his own ass? Yes, save it. It was to save his own ass so that he could choose to leave it behind, or it. Everything came down to what he wanted. Right? He either was going to be like, "Fuck it, let it all fall," and I'll just disintegrate with everything else or you all can decide to shore up you know everything and fix you can you can all decide to fix everything so that i can just bail and be like fuck off either result like so either non-existence or him leaving he he made the choice to not support the current system right there was no choice that he or there was no result that he wanted that that led would lead to him being because he had the power and the ability to choose. He could have chosen to fix everything himself. Yeah. Like, even though, you know, there was a point where he, there was, see, even the scene where he goes to the tower in the Silver City and he, and, you know, Michael is sitting on the steps and has, is just lost in indecision, right? He's not, Michael has, also has the power to, to take the throne and become the, become God effectively and fix everything. And he's, he's so indecisive because of the fact that his entire existence has been at the whim of God and, you know, following the word of God, that becoming God is something that he never thought he could do. Lucifer even manipulates him then by walking in and being like, well, fuck it. If you're not going to make the decision, then I am. And he knows that Michael won't let him. He knows Michael won't let him sit the throne, so he goes in there and he's like, "Well, fuck it, I'm going to do it, and you you'll get what you get from me." And and then Michael fights him, and he's like, "No, you, you can't, you can't take the throne. Fuck off!" and and prevents him from doing so. And in so, 
he's that's that was his manipulation of Michael into the the conflict that eventually leads them into beating the shit out of each other and Michael bleeding out on the on Yggdrasil and uh you know falling into Fenris's plan. Mm-hmm. Jesus, this book is complex. <laughs> it really is. But um, it's like it's. I know what happened. It's sensibly complex. It's sensibly complex, right? but it's just it like. There's a lot of subplot. There's a lot of different mythologies that all weave together. I feel like this is going to be the long read that we do. That's the one where it's like, it guys, this is going to go for a while. Yes, yeah. <laughs> go read some of the book. <laughs> well, on that note, maybe we should wrap it up then. Um, unless either of you has any particular point that you want to hit on before we uh, before we move on. I was going to mention the Garden of Eden again, but you know what? Nah, let somebody read it. It's so <laughs> yeah. much better that way. Um, we will do our typical buy, borrow, burn, and I'll start with uh, I'll and you'll go last because you're the one that suggested the book. Okay, so okay. I'll start, and I'm going to say high end of borrow. Um, and the reason that I say that is because I love the storyline. I think that's extremely complex and very well thought out. But I. Personally, I have a problem with the artwork in the book, and that makes it enough to make it a borrow rather than a buy, but barely. Low end of buy. Like, I really enjoy this book, but I can, if you have questions about it, I'm happy to answer them. There are certain aspects, if you don't like various things, that I can see ruining this book. Like, what things do you think would be a. uh, I think people who have. who don't enjoy alternate takes on religious stuff. It is well, a little sacrilegious. I'm actually... Sacrilegious. Like, That's yeah. exactly I the word that I would use. S- Carrie goes further than I would in terms of like putting extant religions. Yeah. Like s- straight up. I mean, using the word Yahweh in a written down book. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, dang. Um, but like, you know, it is it is a meaty, meaty book. Mm-hmm. And yep. this is not something that you just sit down, you know, and... Oh, I'm just going to breeze through this real quick. No, it's, you need to take your time and work your way through it and yep. think about it. Um, reading it as single issues must have been insane. Yeah. So as a person that enjoys thinking and <laughs> mythology and um, has a very cavalier attitude towards religion, I would buy the shit out of this book. I did buy the shit out of this book. They just came out with hardbacks that are, there's like fewer than 11 volumes of them. And they seven. did? Yes. They did? Yes. Okay, I'm gonna that I might buy. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, buy buy the hell out of it. I love the art. Luke's wrong. <laughs> I didn't realize there were hardcovers. Luke's opinion um, is not wrong. Five hardcover books, and they do not include the Sandman Presents or Nirvana. Oh, that's too bad because Sandman Presents is great, important. Yeah, it's part the of the plot. It introduces Rachel Bagai. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's it's a, a borrow and two buys that basically becomes a buy if I'm talking about hardcovers because I'll definitely buy the hardcovers. <laughs> On a, on a note that I want to bring up and, uh, before we leave, um, reading through this book just pisses me off even more about what they're tr- planning oh. to do with the TV oh show. Oh, my God. <laughs> I should have never really got into this. Well, and it's partially because I know for our next long read, we're doing Preacher. Yeah. And... One of the things that I realized reading through this book is what I discussed earlier was that um, the, the a lot of these Vertigo books are are super smart, know, yeah, very intelligent. They're big, heavy philosophical treatises with really exciting fight scenes. Yeah, and they 
they take on religion in a way that you can't do on TV because someone in Indiana will explode. Right. Wait, never mind. They the whole, totally make a faithful recreation of this. <laughs> the whole reason why these books came out under the Vertigo banner at the time they did was because of the fact that they took they took on religion in a way that other mediums couldn't do it for fear of reprisals. TV is still in that place and TV will always be in that place. Yeah. But the weird thing about that is that I think um, a good example of a TV show that that treads that line really well is Supernatural, yeah. right? They have a lot of the same kind of, you know, they, they water it down a little bit, but they have a lot of the same kind of uh, commentary on especially Judeo-Christian religion that, that some of these books have. But to take these books and take the ideals, the ideas that they were, uh, pushing at the time and to completely water them down into, um, you know, run of the mill procedural bullshit, um, does a huge disservice to books that are as important to comics as Preacher and Lucifer were. I so, mean, it might make some sort of like meta meta commentary on free will, but <laughs> that doesn't make here's, it worth here's it. Here's my thought process on it. This book is too smart for to be a popular oh God, TV yes. show. Like just flat out, you you can't. There is a certain level that you need to dumb yourself down to and I probably will piss off a couple people with this comment but like popular TV shows normally are not that good you can't popular I I, I yeah. agree with you when you when you phrase it as the word popular yeah um, that's this is what that's all this is about because I will tell you a show that I think proves that you could do something like Lucifer if you did it if you did it right on the right network in the right format is true detective. True Detective is an insanely smart, insanely deep, very, very well-constructed show that I think... That's also a police procedural. That is a police procedural, um, but it's definitely a, a, a an alternate take on a police procedural. It's very character-driven, and I think that... Um, How many seasons have there been? Oh, there's only the first season, and, well, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that if you were to do Lucifer, you'd have to do it in... I think they could condense it to 30 to 40 episodes if you did it in 10 episode seasons. Um, like the thing about true detective is that it's going to be every, every season is going to be a self-contained storyline with completely different characters, right? But the, which the, is but one the, thing, but well, yeah, also you're gonna have different cast most likely. Right. But I think, I think that Lucifer, I disagree. I think that there is a, in the current climate of television, the way that they're doing TV shows now, um, be it you know who could do HBO, this? Canada, be it Netflix, yeah, Canada could do this. Um, I think that because it, they do Lost Girl, okay, and like that doesn't have Judeo-Christian shit, but it's got a bisexual main character, so like, yeah, that's I mean, one level. They something. did Orphan Black as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, there you go. But I, I, I think it could be done, but it takes. It takes not going to a major studio for one. I just keep on thinking of uh, the Neverwhere TV show. <laughs> that was its original form. I don't I, remember I, that at all. I know, oh yeah, just, yeah. No, it's so campy. It's, it's real bad. It's real campy. It's <laughs> I mean, I have a I have a place in my heart that has great love for it because it is so campy. But, but it's oh it's God. not. You know, it's like that. That's what I'd be terrified that you know you'd have an actor wearing just blue paint on his face. <laughs> 
like as opposed to you know <laughs> any sort of like prosthetics or anything like that and you d- i mean also think about the time that the neverwhere tv show was made and the budget with which it was made yeah. that's the thing in order to have a sufficient budget to get the visuals that this show needs to be successful you'd have to be with a network that's so big that it's going to nerf this sh- the show or you'd have to be on um a premium network like hbo because look at the budgets of things like um Game of Thrones yeah. for one and if you back up look at like Band of Brothers right shows like that they have the budget they have a cast and a crew that takes it seriously enough to make it work which is one of the reasons why Hellblazer or Constantine is has not been renewed yeah. because they nerfed what Constantine was supposed to be they're going to nerf what Preacher's supposed to be they're going to nerf what Lucifer's supposed to be and they're not going to be successful shows they're going to go a season and they'll die exactly and that's that's really a shame when in when the crews and casts exist to make something like this happen, if you do it right, but they're not going to do it right. They're not going to. You do know, right. I was thinking about HBO, and it's just it's TV is such funny commentary on like the U.S. psyche and social was name because it's like rape is fine, incest yeah. fine, extreme violence fine. Uh-huh. Can't show nipple. Can't show... N- no, they can. On HBO. On HBO. <laughs> oh, on HBO. But no penises or God. They show penises in Game of Thrones. Okay. Oh, man. But the uh, nipple to penis ratio is pretty... Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, even the vagina to penis ratio is huge in that show. <laughs> Americans <laughs> and their hang-ups on full frontal nudity. <laughs> Dick to floor. <laughs> Silicon Valley folks. Yeah. Good okay. stuff. Um, but the, yeah. yeah, I feel like the the smartness would be a problem, and the religion would be a problem. Yeah, yeah. I think the smartness is a bigger problem than the religion. Yeah, honestly, agreed. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I'm not I'm not looking forward to the TV show, and I'm probably not going to watch it. Um, even even if like it gets a full season in, and people are like, this show's really good. Mm, no, I I'm going to stick to my campy. Um, comic book tv like i enjoy arrow and i am i'm enjoying the flash yeah. and the only like comic book tv and those DC those comic are, book tv's been delightful yeah and and they're fun they're fun and they're stupid they're not they're not the intelligence of something like lucifer is never going to come across well uh, um, unless something serious happens and they you know the you know, preacher is going to be the same thing like i just i think they're going to fuck it up so Anyway, read uh, comics. Read, co- read comics because they're smarter than TV. Like that needed to be said. Um, um, reading something is better than watching TV. Yeah. <sighs> so, on the opposite end of the spectrum for comics, our next episode is going to be Next Wave: Agents of Hate. Love it. It's uh, it's fantastic uh, comedic take on B level uh, Marvel superheroes. It's I, absolutely amazing. D level. Uh, well, okay. Um, Episode 92 is going to be a listener suggestion of Supreme Blue Rose. Uh, I have no idea what it is. I don't know. It's an image comic that I haven't read and know nothing about. I wasn't the commentary that went with it to tell me if you can figure out what the hell's happening. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Challenge accepted. Uh, episode 93, we're going to do The Empty Man, which is a Cullen Bunn horror comic. Ooh, and then episode, episode 94, we're doing Alex and Ada, which I just caught up on. And God, that book is so good. It's so fun. And then episode 95, we're going to do the first trade of Gotham Central, uh, which I'm definitely looking forward to. So good stuff. um, Those are our next five episodes. Uh, If you'd like to be a part of the show, you can email us at tradesecrets at geekerific.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at tradesecretspod. You can hit us up our Facebook group, hit up our Facebook group at facebook.com 
facebook.com slash groups slash trade secrets podcast um we're all individually on twitter i'm at geek elite andy is and being tweets uh we definitely respond to listener emails and questions so if you have any questions or comments or anything that you want to put into the show feel free to hit us up uh we will be recording our um our next wave episode in two weeks hope to see you there uh thank you andy for loaning us your place this weekend hail satan thank you ann Hail Lucifer. Uh, thank you to Ed Brisson for sitting uh, sitting down with us at Emerald City Comic Con. Very glad to meet Aaron and Diane of Just Enough Trope at the Yay! at the show. Um, Real people f- listen to us. Yes, we had actual fans show up at our table. He bought bought a copy of my book, so I'm like, yes. Uh, and uh, we had a great time at Emerald City Comic Con. This has been episode 90 of the Trade Secrets Podcast. We are out. Work it harder, make it better, do it faster, makes us stronger, more than ever.